Thunderbolt Labs is where everything's big and black. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. It is November 1st. My name is Ben Ornstein, and I am here at RubyConf 2012 with Tamron Randall from Thunderbolt Labs. How's it going, guys? Another day in paradise. It's going fantastic. You feeling all right? You guys got your cute matching shirts on? I love this. <laughs> we just got these drop shipped today. So really? Yeah. Yeah. Just in time Brand for the conference? New. And so I want to ask you, where did you get the idea to start a Rails consultancy? Like that's just such a brave business model that it's just out of nowhere. Yeah, it, 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 I was pretty proud of the idea myself because we think we're the first ones to do it. Yeah. Um, and so we consider it to be pretty revolutionary and groundbreaking. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll admit it was half Randall's idea. But yeah, we're not even sure what it means to be a Rails consultancy. We're still trying to figure it out. Right. Know? Yeah, you know, the, uh, I kind of agree with Tamara. I mean, moving into open source software and writing web applications in this time, right. nobody was doing it's it. It's completely unproven, which is, <laughs> it makes me so impressed. There was some David guy who came from Europe who tried. I mean, really. <laughs> but he didn't really prove the well, market. He had to or give anything. up and go into like race car driving or something. Yeah, exactly. Know. Should she tell you right there? There was no viable market for web applications. Right. The man's driving race cars QED. very expensive race cars but yeah. so uh, how's business how are things Wait, going can I say it's fantastic yeah, so, yeah. good <laughs> you shouldn't have encouraged us to curse. This this podcast is now no longer going to be. It's going to be an explosive one. I have a feeling. How many bleeps can we get? Yeah. Uh, we got a guy who's awesome at editing stuff, so you're, you're going to sound you're going to sound chased by the end. Actually, of this. you're going to be pretty lucky if this doesn't end up sounding like Morse code. Anyway, um, yeah, business is good. It's strangely enough, you it's. To the contrary to popular belief, this was actually pretty much the only and best time to, to start a Rails consultancy because pretty much all the senior guys got bought. There was a, apparently there was like a Groupon coupon for like a Rails consultancy and they all got purchased. <laughs> yeah. Um, as long as you bought five or more, you got yeah, them half off. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Or maybe it was a, a living social that, anyway, there was something <laughs> like that. It was like a group buying thing that happened. So, um, so you're in San Francisco? Yeah, we are. And um, well, and we're, we're in San Francisco, Randall and I. We've got uh, employees and contractors all over the place, actually. Oh, okay. So we, we do a pretty distributed team, yeah. which is challenging but fun. Um, yeah. But we try and get everybody. Actually, one of the things that we did was we started the company. Um, Tamara and I thought about we knew a whole bunch of really great people and a really great devs that we wanted to work with, but none of them really were centrally located. So our idea was, well screw it just keep everybody distributed and then bring people together at events because we all ended up seeing each other at conferences at least once a month anyway and yeah. then you know um, we just got done uh, we took the entire company to Barcelona yeah for so a month we, yeah <laughs> really? for a month because we figure that way it gave enough time for people to actually get together if you want to just physically meet and honestly, um, what's that phrase? Familiarity breeds contempt. There are actually nice parts about not being in an office with the people you work with every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. I can get shit over a campfire and it's like, I don't actually have to look at you. I right. Mean, I just have to try and read your moto icon in the chat room. And we, we bring, like, we brought everybody out to, to this conference and we basically do that all the time. You have to. But it's, it's like a tax that we're willing to pay because we work with the... We get to work with the people that we've always wanted to work with, no matter where they live. A lot of people who are in our company have families, you know. We right. can't ask them to relocate. Right. So, this, so that's, that's your strategy to sort of keep, make the group feel cohesive, is bring two people together from time to time, particularly yeah. around conferences? So, I mean, the, the funny thing is, you actually asked how we, uh, how we started the company. Um, one day, Tamara and I uh, 
well, we, we got drunk. Um, I'm sure that's shocker to anybody who knows us, but we got really drunk. We actually finished a bottle of Crown Royal and uh, this other bottle of Crown XR. We were working our way through, and we started bitching about things that companies get wrong, and we were talking about culture and everything else. And uh, Yeah, and I'm sure you can guess where we were, you know, what company we were bitching about. <laughs> I'm sure. Now, Tamar. <laughs> Tamar, Tamar, Tamar. Let us not say ill things about... No, so no, it, no. It's, it's not about not, who killed we're, who. We're not going to name any names. I mean, it's, it's water under the bridge. That train left the station a long time ago. <laughs> So, as my subtle uh, compatriot has otherwise indicated, <clears throat> we were otherwise complaining about some cultural shifts that we didn't necessarily agree with, mm-hmm. and uh, we got really drunk, and we decided we were capable of actually building a place where we wanted to work. Hence the reason, like, we went to Barcelona for a month, because right. apparently we thought that that was the sort of company we wanted to work for. Hmm. How many employees are you guys up to these days? Um, five employees now. Yeah, and about uh, six contractors. Yeah. Six so or seven. about 12. Yeah. We nobody actually has to be an employee if they don't want to. That's um, a, that's another major thing that we do that's very different is we, we've, you know, pretzel company excluded. Um, we've looked around and, and seen how other companies treated contractors, especially, you know, I was freelance for a long time, so was Randall. And so we know what it feels like to be a subcontractor for a company, and it's it's the worst thing ever. I mean, like, you have no visibility, you don't feel like you're part of the team, and you feel like just a hired gun. Mm. And we're really working very hard to make sure that's not the case. Mm. So anybody who's ever worked with us is considered part of the family. They're in our, they're in our campfire room all the time. They're helping us with in- discussions about like internal tools and like internal products and mm. you know, all kinds of stuff. So. And, yeah. and you've had people that went from freelance to being or con- contractors to be full-time employees? Oh, yeah. With the exception of a couple initial hires where we'd, we'd known for the longest time that we've always yeah. wanted to work with these people, that, that's how we do things. Is we, hmm. we bring them in, contract, and, and you know, make sure that the entire team gels. Yeah, yeah. Actually, fit's really important for us. Honestly, um, you don't want to find out in the middle of a drunken debacle one night that you really actually can't communicate with somebody. It's kind of bad to find that out while you're trying to get bailed out of jail or something. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But also, you know, we spend a lot of time with these people. There's the the dividing line between work and your, like, I don't know, personal life is it's not as strong as it once was. You know, we spend an inordinate amount of time doing these um, these projects with people. And so you might as well like the people you work with. Um, well, yeah. and also, you know, another area where we feel we differentiate from other consulting shops is that we, um, you know, Randall and I don't want to build a huge company, but we also don't want to be a bottleneck for every project. So we don't have anybody on our team that can't take an entire project single-handedly. Most of the people that we look at for hiring have run entire consulting shops on their own, and they're just tired of it. Mm -hmm. So it's people with that level of experience where they can do everything with managing the client, making sure the communication's good, and they know that development's only one part of a a successful project. Right. Yeah. So... So how is the uh, the San Francisco rails market these days? Just ice cold? Oh yeah, there's there's nothing nothing there. Yeah, yeah stay away. Yeah, because <laughs> you know, I don't know. Apparently, people say it's hard to find developers, and there's a recession on. But God, whatever. I don't know. Actually, strangely enough, um, you know, we we actually do a lot more than rails. Oddly enough, what we found is like Rails is an entree to, to people who actually have real problems. And they're like, hey, I think Ruby on Rails can help me as a tool to solve this problem. And then when we get in and start working with a client, what we find out is that a lot of times they actually have other systemic problems. 
And we actually have a tendency to start helping them with those other systemic problems, things like infrastructure, data migration, um, data analysis issues, um, you know, and even well, yeah, just general some, methodology. We're doing some analytics work. We're doing some... Um uh, what would you call it? The Applied stats stuff or the modeling yeah, stuff? The, yeah, the modeling stuff. So um, some stochastic modeling projects. Yeah. Basically, we, we're actually starting moving towards more mathematically influenced solutions to things. Hmm. So applied statistics and um, some s- basically, s- you could call it signal analysis. or hmm. um, That matches your background, right, Randall? Yeah, I actually had a background in... You know, I, I was forced to relearn statistics because, you know, college doesn't do a very good job of teaching you much of anything except how to drink heavily, which is something I still practice to this day. Okay. <laughs> Got to keep those skills the guys, sharp. The guys find it really fun, too. So they're getting, like, they're, they're totally digging into all the books and stuff. And we, you know, we pair with the client on a lot of work. Um, we think that that's absolutely the best way. I think most shops are starting to come around to that, that it's absolutely the best way of being able to leave the client in a good position when you disengage and there's no question of knowledge transfer and stuff right you know no handoff period um and so that means that like our guys are learning at the same time as they're learning they're learning development our guys are learning statistics and applied mathematics and stuff like that yeah the only other things is we actually also do a lot of like uh, social stuff with our clients so a lot of times we found that what they think are technical problems actually aren't technical problems right it's really weird um sometimes it's like coming in and being a marriage counselor for a technical project like, you know, you're really rewriting the code, but what you're, it's not about the code. They're arguing over a whole bunch of other shit. So you got to solve those problems first. Yeah. And that's actually know, part of the reason why we don't take rescue missions or anything like that, because we found that uh, a rescue mission is actually just a, a, a it, it's an outcome of an uns- you know, a, a dysfunctional team. Right, mm. a dysfunctional company, yeah. and so anytime you walk into a rescue mission, you think, "Well, all we have to do is fix this this code base." Then no. you're just in for a world of pain. It's yeah. interesting that you say that communication is like the core of it. I've, so I've interviewed a lot of people that do consultancies or entrepreneurs and things like this, and this this keeps popping up in so many different fields in sales and consulting. Everything. It's always about the communication. Yeah, it's it's always the problem when something is wrong, and it's always the solution to get it back on track. Well, if you think about it, one of the reasons I mean, the reason people like working in the Rails world is that it makes communication easier. I mean, you see, think about the success of tools like RSpec and Cucumber. It's because communicating with people who don't write code or write software for a living becomes much more tractable. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, actually, who was it that said something like code is actually, you're writing a note for the, I can't remember who it was, but somebody actually had this, I'm going to do a poor paraphrasing, but it was essentially that you're actually writing messages and notes to the next developer in line, and sometimes that developer is you. Yep. Um, and that's the whole point of like, everybody has clever code, right? Everybody's seen clever code, and the problem with clever code is that it doesn't communicate things effectively, it doesn't communicate well. Um, and especially when you're being paid by the hour or in, in time increments to get something done, you need to communicate effectively both to understand what the problem is and then both to understand what the, the risks and communicate the possible solutions. And that's essentially what you get paid for as, as a, a consultant. You get paid for good judgment. Hmm. And if you can't communicate the fact that you have good judgment, then you're actually doing a disservice to your client. Right. So you, you sort of touched on this, but uh, one thing I thought was interesting about you guys is you have your hourly rates just straight up on your website. Yep. Mm-hmm. How have people responded to that? And Actually, very positively. Um, it, it's up there for a couple of reasons. The number one reason is that we believe in honesty and openness, um, and that just sets the standard right there. It's like saying, look, this is what we charge, and we're going to be really simple about it. We're not going to do any kind of weird tiered rating thing. We're not going to... 
We're not going to. Certainly not going to do any kind of fixed bid thing. Um, it's just we uh, have value. We're exchanging our time for for money, and that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is, it, it makes the conversation. It, it avoids uncomfortable conversations. Uh, for both the client and ourselves when, frankly, we're just not a good market fit. Yeah. And I'm sure every consulting shop has had that kind of issue before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. Um, you know, putting our, our rate up on our website, some people thought we were crazy. Some people thought, like, you know, um, they're like, oh, my God, it's genius. But in reality, it was, a, it was an effect of laziness. When we first started Thunderbolt Labs, it was Tamara and myself, and we didn't have time to field. We fielded a couple of sales calls from people who were like, yeah, that's great. Um, so do you think you can actually write this WordPress thing for like $200? Well, the thing is, we, we believe really strongly in meeting every potential client. So anybody who, who comes in through, the, through yeah. the front door, we say like, great, before we go any farther over email, if you're in the city, let's meet for coffee, maybe get some drinks. If you're not in the city, let's do a video chat, because that goes... That does wonders for making a successful engagement throughout the entire thing. And we do it really early. And if we had to do that for everybody, even when it wasn't a good market fit... We've prohibitively expensive yeah. um, and we, we will fly to meet our clients just to talk to them we have before that. we even engage in a project just because we feel so strongly mm-hmm. um, as drunk as we were when we formed the company we actually did manage to scroll down some core values and meeting people face to face was one of the core values hmm. um, for that very reason because it's really easy especially I think we've all done this when you get that email that's kind of snarky from somebody and you're wondering is like are they trolling me are they being a son of a bitch it's like what the hell are they mean snarky bastard and then you, you actually go talk to the person it's like dude I totally forgot to put the winking smiley on the end of that sentence so sorry yeah, you start like, reading emails in their voice right. right you can actually hear them say it hmm. yeah that's the part of the communication that's what good communication gets you yeah um, so going back to the, the the rate thing for just a second you guys are you say 277 an hour where did that number come from it seems like such an arbitrary very deep in um, private calculations yeah yeah like the, the last seven is what really gets me. So we were actually, okay, um, as it turns out, the market rate of a bottle of Crown Royal and most uh, scotch actually goes up him. about 3% a year. And um, we calculated how much we were drinking in scotches from Isla versus other whiskeys. And it came out that we needed a $2 bump in our rate in order to cover what we were drinking. See, this is what an applied statistic background gets you. You can actually do these measurements, and it's uh, really significant scientific applications that you can uh, Got it. So this wasn't uh, the result of like thousands of iterations and A-B tests to come down to exactly the right number. <laughs> my A-B like, tests. Well, it depends. See, I'm, I'm kind of upset that you said the rate on, the, on, this, on this podcast because that was the rate you see. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> awkward. It's <laughs> actually much higher or lower. <laughs> well, it depends. We've actually got four test groups going on right now. Right. So, well, who uh, knows which variant of the podcast people are getting. That's, that's true. Uh, we, we say different numbers in different now. Yeah. yeah. We got a really good sound guy. We can make this happen, no problem. As it turns out, well, you know, when you when you charge one million dollars an hour, uh, people have certain expectations, right? And uh, at a million dollars an hour, we just, um, well, you know, I mean, it's not like we're .NET devs. We're nearly like you know five six hundred thousand. Sure. Uh, so you have an expensive whiskey habit, but not that expensive. So that's it. Yeah, we're, we're trying. Actually, our bill rate does include client whiskey and drinking with us, so. I mean, it all washes out in the end. We actually take a bit of a loss. Sure. So speaking of taking a loss, so you guys, um, it seems like you guys and some of your employees are doing talks at conferences. Like uh, Tamara, we ran to each other at Railsbury this year. Um, That's where I got engaged, by the way. 
That's right, yeah. So. You got engaged like the day before? Uh, the day after I saw you, I think. Because uh, oh, wow. we went over to Prague. My, my fiance is from... Uh, or her, she's Polish, so okay. you know, that was a nice thing to do. We actually, uh, she's Polish Polish by random. To get yeah, engaged. Yeah, I know, I kind of screwed it up. <laughs> Whatever. I remember seeing, I, so completely random, I was in Prague, we took, was where at Prague? Prague to Krakow. And yeah. we ended up on the same overnight train. Yes. And so I'm walking in this like third, or what, no, this like Soviet era train station. Yeah. And like 40 feet ahead of me is you. <laughs> I was like, this is so weird. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was fun. The sleeper train was weird because uh, you know at first you think it's gonna be all romantic and stuff, and then it's not. It was not. It's not. It stops every hour. There's yeah. light shining in the window, and you just yeah. Oh, it's the weird. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. Like it would pull into a station and then disconnect from the rest of the train, and oh, it would I leave thought you we there. were gonna get shot. <laughs> Didn't I? I, I it totally was little, expected it was scary. dudes to just bust in with uh, machine so guns. Straight, you were on a train left on a track in the middle of where? Yes, somewhere. for about two in hours. In the middle of nowhere. And yeah, two hours go by, and then finally another train shows up, and you connects to it, and then tries. That's when we uh, switched over to the border. Uh, yeah, nice. But so anyway, so you guys are doing this conference speaking. Do you guys feel like you're getting good ROI on that sort of thing? It's like I mean, it's basically a marketing effort, right, to get your name out there and uh, establish a, yourselves. No, well, I mean, there's there's definitely a marketing component. Let's be honest, right? Um, getting your name out there that's important. But frankly, I've never had a Ruby developer hire us. Have you ever? You remember that happening? No, no, no. I mean, I think for us. Um, so actually, one of the things we actually keep us here is like Ruby has a really good community. Honestly, coming to conferences, uh, it's a chance to share something you found out. It's a chance to talk about something you think is important or something you feel passionate about. Um, like Brian, actually, at this Ruby conference, is actually talking about some stuff for simulation. And the interesting thing about that was the client we wrote it for has an army of lawyers. I mean, literally an army of lawyers. And uh, we can't talk anything about that project we're doing for them. So Ryan, or Brian wrote an entire other project from scratch to make sure that he didn't violate any of the terms of the contract just so he could talk about the simulation stuff that we learned. Huh. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's that as well, giving back to the community. There's, there's the team-building aspect, which you talked about earlier, right, right. and that's actually, for yeah. us, that's pretty paramount. I mean, just a conference is a great excuse. When we did the month in Barcelona, it was kicked off by the, by the Baruch conference, Baruch, right? Yeah. Um, it's just a great excuse to pick a nice location and get everybody together, and everybody enjoys going to conferences, especially when they're in interesting places, you know? Yeah. Well, and the other thing is um, Ruby, even more so than other languages, is very community-driven and community-oriented. It doesn't feel like you're going to a conference so much. It kind of feels like you're just going to hang out with your friends, and your friends just happen to be in Oh, we totally are. I mean, Portland we got off the day. plane last night and immediately went and played pool with everybody that we haven't seen in the last two months. Yeah, you know? and, like, three of the guys were actually from Sweden, like uh, our friends from eLabs and some oh, yes. a couple of independence consultants. We just randomly, you know, hey, guys, where are you? It's like, well, we're not in Sweden. We're here. Where were you before that? They were in Chicago, you know. So at SCNA, a different conference. Um, yeah. So the conferences, strangely enough, I think the Ruby community is very distributed, right? And I think the conferences are actually much in the same way they're parallel to what we do with our company. Or rather, our company is a parallel with what Ruby does with its conferences. Mm. Um, it's okay to be anywhere, but you just kind of pull everybody together at a, at a point or a moment. Mm. Yeah. Keep it small and keep it distributed and you know, keep it very personal. That's what I like about the Ruby community. Hmm. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had someone, a guy named Brennan Dunn on the podcast, and he was someone who was previously a freelancer Brennan, uh, and yeah. then started his own consultancy. We are yeah, he's got some really good uh, e-books and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The Double Your Freelancing Rate e-book mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told me that for the first year, he actually made less money 
at his consultancy than when he was a freelancer. Hmm. And basically because he was having trouble projecting cash flow and finding projects and things when he made the switch to having full-time employees because they have such a, a large cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thoughts? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, can speak, I can speak a little bit more honestly about this. I'll just say that when I was at my previous job, I was earning a ton of cash. And it is true that this first year of what we're doing now, I am personally not earning as much as I did before because we're investing, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that we're having an issue with marketing. I don't think that there's, I don't think that, that there's a mistake that we're making right now. If there was, we'd just change it, right? I just view it as we're doubling down constantly because we expect this to be a long-term thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like we're making some pretty good decisions. Yeah, we're, we're pretty transparent on that stuff. So, I mean, in terms of cash flow, there's some basic rules of consulting. And honestly, uh, we, we owe a lot to our... We actually have two really good advisors, Sarah Tavel, who's actually now at Pinterest, and uh, Rob Mee, who founded Pivotal Labs. And we basically, before we did this, we basically sat down with them and got a reality check. And basically had Rob yell at us and say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Yeah, mm-hmm. he saved our butts on a couple of, uh, yeah. a couple of What were those mistakes, decisions. do you remember? Oh, yeah. One of them is uh, no money, no work. You don't pay no worky, no money, no worky. It just As a no work up front. None. Zero. Yeah. Uh, because it, it sets, one, it sets a poor precedent, right? Two, it actually, the only thing it does is increase your liability with a client. And three, remember how we were talking about communication? Okay, so it's really difficult to have that conversation with a client when they owe you money and they're just trying to ship. You know, you don't want to actually have that conversation like two weeks before they're shipping. They're about to take a round of investment and then you're like, about your product. Um, I'm into you for 100K and we really need to talk about this bill. He's like, yeah, about the money. I already spent your 100K. I figured you'd wait until after we get funded after the launch and then we can hang around. And it's just problematic. It's like... There's business. There's also the aspect of, you know, like I said, we're, we're strictly time and materials, and, and most con- consulting shops are nowadays. Um, but there was a couple of times when we found ourselves, uh, once knowingly and once unknowingly, uh, acting as subcontractors behind a fixed bid contract, mm, which yeah. you can understand puts everything at odds, right? Yeah. I mean, we're passionate about the M&A thing, not for any reason other than it's the best thing for the client, right? And when we found ourselves operating kind of within this umbrella of a fixed bid, it just really went south. We actually disengaged from a project that was... Oh, yeah. Um, can we say a number on that? Yeah, we can say the number, but we shouldn't say the people. So no. there, there was just... Um, there, the client was a sovereign wealth fund. So the, the, the total budget for the project was somewhere around 1.5 or 2 million, I think. Yeah, and then and, it had gone up to about 5. It, was, it just felt dirty, though. Like, we, we were not operating in the way that we wanted to operate. Um, and the client was great. Like, the, the end client was great. Um, and, you know, we're friends with the people in between, too. But it was just not a, not a healthy situation. So, so we should actually... It's kind of funny. Um, this is something that we were, thought was really important and people don't understand. Uh, you wouldn't talk about errors in consulting. So one of them is the reason time and material works is because you're never at odds with your client, right? If we're doing time and materials, I don't have any impetus to pad, uh, pad my bill because it's, it, actually the minimum commitment in our contract is 15 minutes. So we bill in 15-minute increments. 15 minutes into a contract, if the client thinks that we're doing something wrong, they can fire us. And... Strangely, that goes both ways. 15 minutes into the contract, if we think our client isn't a good fit, we can fire them. Well, and we've also, we have now, three times that I can count on the top of my head, we have disengaged from a client, a, a good client, 
who you know, was paying on time, happy to pay the rate, but we didn't feel that, that we were providing the necessary value for what our expertise is, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, there was one in the way beginning that Randall always laughs about where at, at building a back-end API, a CMS system, blah, 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 and at, at some point I'm like... Tamara's writing PHP. I was trying to edit a WordPress plugin, and I'm like, what the f*** is going on in my life? And this is just not, this is not cool. Um, so we, we disengaged, and the clients have been so happy when that happens. And we just refer them to somebody else who's, you know, maybe doesn't have quite the same level of expertise, but um, the, the right fit, you know? Right. If you feel an ominous presence on the microphone, it's because Brian Lyles is actually standing over my shoulder. Hovering. <laughs> the second Looming. Randall Thomas. Yes. <laughs> the dark shadow of Thunderbolt Labs, if you will. I just saw, I found the blog post where you announced him joining the company. That's like one of the best titles ever. Brian. Cornering the Rails black market. I, you know, once again, the podcast isn't visual. Just for people who don't know, uh, this is Randall, and I'm actually black. <laughs> Brian, do you want to say hi? Hello, sexy people. <laughs> so that actually makes two black people. The, strangely, the only person who's really African-American in this company is Tamer. <laughs> I mean, it's look true. at the beard on that motherfucker. If he, it doesn't say Egyptian. How do you think I got in college? <laughs> it's like, so we were, we were just joking because we were, accidentally it's came out. It's like, we've got like all six black people in rails. Yeah. So um, you got some advice about avoiding some mistakes. Are there any ones you made anyways? Oh, yeah. Stuff you screwed um, up anyhow? First off, communication. Back to that communication thing about bad news. Tell the bad news early and explicitly, as shortly and as succinctly as possible. Yeah, don't be vague. Don't assume that they understand with the wink-wink and the nudge-nudge that their project's going down in flames. Right. Oh. Two, uh, do not stick with dying projects. If you know that the project's going to go down in flames, do not go down with it. You're not the captain. Your job there is to actually mitigate risk, explain the risks. If the person goes against your advice and you think that's something that's going to kill the project, you should pass them on to somebody else who wants to take on that risk. Because unfortunately, the client will not remember the fact that you... Nobody remembers the I told you so, Mm. right? What they remember is the fact that the project crashed and burned. And invariably, whether it was their fault or your fault, doesn't really matter. As a consultant, it's always your fault. Right at the end of the day, that person's going to go tell their friends. It's like, oh hey, what about those Thunderbolt guys? Those f-ers? Well, you know, when I wrote Facebook for dogs, uh, you know, they totally screwed me up. They said my product didn't have a product market fit because dogs don't type. And I will tell you, if they had actually just done the UX in that JavaScript the way I told them to, uh, <laughs> the doggy keyboard would have worked, and it wasn't my fault. Mm-hmm. And then you know, your reputation suffers. And I mean, I mean. Think about it. Thoughtbot actually has one of the leading reputations of other Rails consultancies, and I'm sure that's important to you guys. And a lot of that comes from keeping happy clients. Mm-hmm. And there are some people that you cannot make happy as a consultant. And if you find one of those, get rid of them. Right. And no matter how much the money is, because the trick is a lot of times I think people, they get very concerned. You get addicted to that. Well, there's such a, yeah, they're kind of abusive and they're a little bit of a jackass, but, you know, they're paying me like, really well and they pay on time. Yeah. And, I think that's one of the, the nicest things about being in a position where you have a good brand and there's a good demand for your services is right. you can turn people away. Yes. Like mm-hmm. you can look at projects and go, no way, this is not going to work out. Well, I think that there's, I think there's a much higher demand than most consultancies understand, and I think it has a lot to do with price tiering. So when I first started, uh, when I was solo, uh, before I worked for um, uh, another unnamed company and then we founded Thunderbolt Labs, um, I was having a lot of trouble with just... I guess just a general level of respect um, that I was getting from the clients and mm. kind of a, a price ceiling that I was hitting. And it, the, looking back, it was obvious that 
the problem was not that I was charging bet, too Tamer. much. The problem was that I was charging too little. Tamer, you and, lost And yeah, lost Randall, the bet. Randall told me what the problem was at the time, and I'm really? like, whatever. And he's like, I said, you know, I'm hovering around uh, 175 to 185 at the time, right? And I'm like, every time I try and go to 195, the client just balks and just knocks me back down. Hmm. And he, he gave me two pieces of advice. He said, one, ne- never negotiate on your rate. Like it, 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 never it, negotiate what on your rate. Okay. If, if you're going to do any negotiation, um, Randall always says, and this is really good advice in general for negotiation. Um, it, if you, then I, right. So if, if, if you prepay for six months, then I will give you a 10% uh, discount off of the, the existing rate. And whenever you invoice, you show the, the actual rate, you give a discount as a line item on that. Mm-hmm. Right. But the other thing is he said, well, your problem is that you're, you're starting below 200. And and if you jumped over it, it's it's like pricing things nine ninety nine, right? I mean, if, if if you jump over it, then people's expectations are reset, and you enter into a different market to start with. And then you, there's a whole huge market uh, of people needing help at that level, but they're not going to hire the um, the hundred and fifty dollar consulting company for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so ironic that you can be shooting yourself in the foot by and making not as much money. Yeah. Like you're getting worse ask, clients and not making the cash. Ask Amy Hoy. She'll give you all kinds of advice about Actually, that. Actually, I, true, I yeah. loved Amy's summation. She said if your client doesn't feel like – if you tell your client your rate and they don't feel like you just slapped them in the face, you're not charging enough. <laughs> yeah, and she's half right. Half your clients should walk away. And the, the other thing is um, I think people mistake what consulting is. Because generally speaking, the people who get into writing software consulting, they're technical people, right? We're engineers first and business people second. It's really not about the technology. We actually think, oh, well, that's easy. I could just write that in 10 minutes. No, that's not the point. You actually have to think about what I always... It's called value-based pricing. You have to value it in the terms of the, the business person or the person you're working for. Right. And for them, you don't charge them based on your effort. You charge them based on the value. Which is, which is, for us, our value is basically our experience and our knowledge, right? Our ability to communicate, our ability to hold their hand throughout the project. The, the problem with value-based pricing is a lot of, a lot of consultants misread that to, think, to, to mean that they should be doing fixed bid. Well, let's look at the end product of what we're giving them and price it valued at that, right? Mm-hmm. Whether or not it takes me 10 minutes, if this product's going to make them a million dollars, I should be charging them 200 k or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not, that's not the value that you're giving your client. You're giving your client consulting. You know, you're, you're as if you were a counselor. You are giving your client that value. Right. Basically, you should be that guy in the mafia movie that leans over to the Don's ear, whispers something, and then somebody gets shot. <laughs> right? That's who you want to be. The you're, the, you're right, exactly. But if you're the guy who's getting shot, you're in the wrong part of the consulting business, right? <laughs> right. All right, one more question for you guys. So let's say I make you sell Thunderbolt Labs tomorrow, and I'm giving you each $10 million. What would you do? Start another Thunderbolt Labs? Yeah? More consulting? I, I don't view it as consulting. I view it as making a, a family. Um, and so maybe maybe I would do a product instead, but I'd ha- rehire the same people. You'd be screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Randall? Um, actually, I'd probably spend about a million dollars on it for counseling for Tamara and I when we started our next company. And all right. that's, a, that's a good idea. An interesting thing, and this is getting a little bit personal, but for all those people out there who start a consulting company with you know a partner, which you should do, trying to do this solo... Uh, well, it, it just wouldn't have worked. But you quickly realize that you're now married. Heather refers to Randall as my second wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know. Wait, no, no, no. No, no, I'm you're the, the wife. Husband. You're the wife. You're the bitch. 
I, I wear the pants in this consultancy. Yeah, actually, I think this is when the uh, the podcast starts going downhill. <laughs> Where's my f-ing drink? Well, guys, it's been great talking. <laughs> fade out, fade to black. Thanks for stopping by. No, actually, no, but seriously, I appreciate it. It's good talking with you guys. It's been fun. Thanks. Yeah, this thank you very much. Absolutely. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Oh, absolutely. There's beer involved. All right, so <laughs> It'll yeah, be good. absolutely. So um, if people want to get in touch with you guys, what's the best way to do that? Uh, actually, either follow us on Twitter. We're at Thunderbolt Labs on Twitter, or uh, we actually have an email address, which is us us at Thunderbolt Labs. Yeah, that goes to everybody. Yeah. So we we thought it was a, a funny joke. It was email us at Thunderbolt Labs. As it turns out, it just confuses the out of everybody. I believe it because they're like, no, no, no. So who do I email? It's us at Thunderbolt Labs. It's like who's on first, but with email addresses. It's <laughs> really bad idea. Another mistake chalked up in the books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely another mistake. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Oh no, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Take okay. care. Bye bye.